know of, I'll put it that way, on your outline. This is actually part two. On my notes, I have part one and two because I mentioned to you last week I have a lot of pages of notes. I had about 15 pages of notes or so. I whittled those down to 11, and I went through about half of those last week, and Lord willing, we'll finish up with the rest of this chapter this week. And Now, you're familiar with the little nesting dolls, I think they're called. You've seen those little things, you know, you open one and out comes more and then you take that one off. What's that? Matriscus? Okay. What's a nesting doll? Is that not the same thing? Or maybe it's just another name? Okay. Anyway. Hmm? Oh, the Russian name for them. Okay. I've seen some egg type things that are similar to that too, but then uh, somehow like face paintings on them and all. I know especially like in Russia, Ukraine, uh, Romania, those kind of they're really popular over there. A lot of people, some of my professors in seminary, they would go over there to teach a class, and they would come back with these things. And they're kind of neat, you know, do, 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 and they kind of pop out. And that's kind of what we have in the book of Revelation, so to speak. Maybe that might help you visualize what's going on anyway, how we had the seven seals. And once you get that seventh seal broken, out come, so to speak, seven trumpets, seven angels to blow the seven trumpets. And once you get to the seventh trumpet, lo and behold, out come seven more angels carrying bowls or vials. And then they start pouring out their bowls or their vials of judgment upon the earth, one after the other. Now we're coming so far, we're all the way through all the seven uh, seals, through the seven trumpets. And last week we looked at the bowls, one, two, three, and four. So we're down to the very last few things. Now guess what happens chronologically right after the seventh bowl is poured out? That's when you hear the trumpet. Jesus Christ comes to earth. And there's going to be an earthquake, the Bible tells us. And uh, he's going to put his foot down on the Mount of Olives there. And there's, there's going to be a split in uh, the earthquake. And we talked about this on a Wednesday night a, 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 while, a few weeks ago. And how there will be a river that comes out and flow east and west out of Jerusalem. One going to the Mediterranean Sea and one part of the river flowing down to the Dead Sea. And the Dead Sea will become alive. And uh, it will flourish and have fish in it and, and everything. And that will be what it will be like during the Millennial Kingdom. So you see, in the whole grand scheme of things, we're chronologically now at the very end of time on this earth as we know it. Christ is almost ready here at this point to establish his millennial kingdom upon the earth. Now, if you would, follow along with me as I read in chapter 16. If you would, uh, go ahead and stand up out of respect for God's word. Since I'm going to read a, a long... I'll go ahead and read the whole chapter for you today. And again, we're, we're starting... Uh, actually, our concentration will be about verse 10 down through the end of the chapter today. And I heard a great voice out of the temple saying to the seven angels, Go your ways and pour out the vials of the wrath of God upon the earth. And the first went and poured out his vial upon the earth. And there fell a noisome and grievous sore upon the men, which had the mark of the beast, and upon them which worshipped his image. And the second angel poured out his vial upon the sea, and it became as the blood of a dead man. And every living thing, or every living soul, died in the sea. And the third angel poured out his vial upon the rivers and fountains of waters, and they became blood. 
And I heard the angel of the waters say, Thou art righteous, O Lord, which art and wast and shalt be, because thou hast judged thus. For they have shed the blood of the saints and prophets, and thou hast given them blood to drink, for they are worthy. And I heard another out of the altar say, Even so, Lord God Almighty, true and righteous are thy judgments. And the fourth angel poured out his vial upon the sun, and the power was given unto him to scorch men with fire. And men were scorched with great heat, and blasphemed the name of God, which hath power over these plagues, and they repented not to give him glory. And the fifth angel poured out his vial upon the seat of the beast, and his kingdom was full of darkness, and they gnawed their teeth, their tongues for pain, and blasphemed the God of, uh, of heaven because of their pains and their sores, and repented not of their deeds. And the sixth angel poured out his vial upon the river Euphrates, and the water thereof was dried up, and the way of the kings of the east, uh, or that the way of the kings of the east might be prepared. And I saw three unclean spirits like frogs come out of the mouth of the dragon, and out of the mouth of the beast, and out of the mouth of the false prophet. For they are the spirits of devils working miracles, which go forth unto the kings of the earth and of the whole world to gather them to the battle of that great day of God Almighty. Behold, I come as a thief. Blessed is he that watcheth and keepeth his garments, lest he walk naked and they see his shame. And he gathered them together into a place called in Hebrew tongue Armageddon. And the seventh angel poured out his vial into the air, and there came a great voice out of the temple of heaven from the throne, saying, It is done. And there were voices and thunders and lightnings, and there was a great earthquake, such as was not since men were upon the earth, so mighty an earthquake and so great. And the great city was divided into three parts, and the cities of the nations fell. And great Babylon came in remembrance before God to give unto her the cup of the wine of the fierceness of his wrath. And every island fled away, and the mountains were not found. And there fell upon men a great hail out of heaven, every stone about the weight of a talent. And men blasphemed God because of the plagues of the hail, for the plague thereof was exceeding great. Heavenly Father, we pray now that you would help us as we look at the remaining portion of this chapter. We pray, Lord, that you'd help us to know how serious of a time it's going to be at the end of the tribulation period and these horrible judgments that are going to be poured out upon men and yet men's hearts will be so hard because of sin in their lives. We pray, Lord, that you'd help us to be tender and, and just tender-hearted toward you. And Lord, help us not to play around with sin and help us just to see the seriousness and the consequences of sin in the lives of, of ourselves and and of our fellow countrymen as well. We pray these things now in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated, of course. <clears throat> All right, so hopefully you know now where we're at chronologically, time-wise, uh, in the grand scheme of things. And again, as last week, I still think we need to see the, uh, the finality and the severity of these vile or these bold judgments uh, that we've been talking about. We looked last week at, first of all, the authority of the of the vile or these bull judgments, we talked. We there we looked at the quality of this command to go forth and pour them out, and the location 
of them out of the Naas or out of the inner sanctuary, the holy of holies of the temple. And, and therefore, uh, due to the quality and the location of this particular command to pour out, that led me to conclude, and I think most uh, Bible scholars would agree, that this is God himself giving this command to go and pour out these bowl or vials upon the earth. So that's the authority uh, is God himself and the agents of the bowl and vial judgments that are going to be poured out. God commands the angels. So the agents that are used are angels uh, pouring out these bowl and vial judgments. And then we pointed out last week, thirdly, the acceleration of the vial and bowl judgments. Again, we know for sure that the tribulation period is seven years broken into two periods of three and a half years each. Now, exactly where these fit in, that's debated among Bible scholars and all. I'm of the opinion we're now down to the very last weeks or perhaps months of that whole seven-year period. That's where I'm at on this. Because as I read this, for one reason, is when I read this, it certainly appears to me, uh, due to the amount of devastation, human beings could not last very long. I mean, when you see all the things that happen to the water, all the water, all the fresh water, all the seawater gets turned to blood here. How long could a person live under those kind of conditions? Perhaps weeks at the most, I would think, right? And, uh, and plus just the, the natural reading of this certainly appears to me as boom, 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 boom. Things are happening in uh, really a rapid fire type of sequence of events that are going on here. So we looked at and talked about last week the acceleration of these bold and vile judgments, especially in compared to the, the seals that were being broken and the trumpets that were sounding. So I, again, believe we're down to the very end of the seven-year period, perhaps, again, weeks or months only as all this covers, I think. And then, fourthly, we've talked about the acuteness of the bowl and vile judgments here that are being poured out. And by that, we were talking about the intensity. It seems to me, as I read and I study here, God increases the intensity of these judgments gradually and slowly. From the, from the seals, they're severe, but then he uh, revs things up, ramps things up, however you want to say it. They become more intense as the trumpets start sounding. Those judgments which strike many of the same sort of things the sun and the green grass and so forth. There's more, greater uh, devastation that happens on the earth. And then finally, when we come to these, these are even more intense, if you can imagine that, at this particular time. It seems to me now at this particular time, these judgments are global in scope, whereas the others only struck like one-third of the seas, one-third of the green grass, and so forth and so on. So we see the intensity here is much greater in these bowl or vile judgments that are being poured out upon the earth. And then number five, uh, which we started in last week, is uh, we were, uh, mentioned the age or the timing of the bowl and vile judgments. Again, by according to verse 17 and also chapter 15, verse 1, this, again, tells us these are the completion or, or what fills up the wrath of God. And uh, verse 15.1 tells us that they are the last plagues. And then in verse 17 here it says it is done or these things are going to be complete everything essentially that is going to happen here on the earth before the, uh, the establishment of the millennial kingdom, the second coming of Christ and, the, and then his reign on the earth for the thousand years. 
So again, this points to the timing or the age, the very end of the seven-year period of time. And then number six, we we're looking at the accounting of the actual details of the bowl and vile judgments. And we started going through those one by one. And we saw the first uh, bowl that when it was poured out, it created painful sores upon mankind. And again, not everyone on the earth, it appears, as we read these, God protects his own. And uh, that's just, to me, further evidence that I believe God's going to protect his own when the tribulation starts and he's going to take the church out of the earth. We see that pattern throughout the Bible with Noah, for example, other times and so forth throughout the Bible. And we see it again even here. God spares his own people from these times. But anyway, these painful sores, it said they were noisome and grievous, talking about they're an ulcer that are kind of oozy with pus and that, that sort of thing. And evidently they're going to be even in kind of a growing malignant type of sore that's growing on the body. And, and if it's anything at all like uh, the, the, the sores or the boils that were uh, put on the people during the, during the time of Moses, this is the exact same word of the, this is the Greek rendition of that Hebrew word translated as boils in the, in, back in Exodus. So if it's anything like that, the people were, were hurting so bad they couldn't stand before Pharaoh or anything at that particular time. And, and you'll see here a little later, the people wind up blaspheming God because of all the pain that they're in. So the first one strikes these very painful sores or boil-type ulcers on, the, on the, all the unsaved at that particular point in time in history. And then the second bowl, we see that the seas will be smitten. They will turn into blood as of a dead man. And that's the idea of some, the seas will become, become thick, dark, a coagulated type thing. Nasty, in other words. They're going to, and when that happens, all the sea life in the whole world will die out. And it will be a horrible time and terrible stench upon the earth when that happens. And then uh, the third bowl, which we talked about last week, not only will the, the sea waters be stricken and turned to blood, so will the fresh water supply. And again, there's no limit here. All the fresh water upon the earth will be turned to blood as well. And, and again, I believe this is basically a payback, and it tells us here why the angel uh, speaks up at this particular time and tells why God does this. And this is because, essentially, they were bloodthirsty. They killed all of God's people. They attacked everyone that wanted to live godly. Therefore, we're going to let them drink blood. And therefore, God is just and righteous in what he's doing here. And so we saw that uh, last time. And then the fourth bowl causes scorching heat uh, upon the earth. The sun gets hotter, and uh, there's going to be horrible sunburns and heat. Things will melt. If there's any ice caps and polar caps and those things, uh, which then will cause all sorts of flooding and devastation uh, with those things as they're melting, of course. And, uh, and so it's going to be a horrible time on the earth, and people will... Uh, won't hardly be able to be out in the sun or, or they'll be burned uh, from the heat of the sun. And again, it would just be a horrible time. I believe God here gives mankind, lost mankind, a foretaste of the flames of hell itself. They were bloodthirsty, let them have blood to drink. They're going to go to hell, 
let them feel what it's going to be a little bit like. And so he cranks up the heat on the sun, and yet people still refuse to repent. And it tells us here that they actually blaspheme the name of God. They know that God is doing these things, trying to get them to repent, yet they still refuse, it tells us here. And, then, and we ended last week talking about the hardening of the heart of mankind. It's just unbelievable how people love their sin so much that they will not repent of their sin, no matter it seems like what God does. Out of His love and mercy, He's trying to get them to repent and turn to Him, but yet they love their sin so much they will not do that. So that's where we ended last week. Now as we look at the bowls 5, 6, and 7 today, we'll bring us down toward the end of the chapter. And starting in verse 10, we see the fifth bowl being poured out, and that creates darkness, okay? I don't know exactly how all this works, and we can argue and debate and discuss and so forth over all the details of how things are happening, <coughs> but, but God had already made the sun grow hotter. Now He's going to make it grow dark for some reason or somehow. I don't know. Maybe there's just going to be something that blocks the sun all of a sudden. I don't really know. It could be massive volcano-type uh, eruptions and stuff and all the dirt and debris and things like that in the air, and that blocks the sun. Anyway, it's going to become very dark upon the earth here, and it will be like the uh, ninth plague of uh, during with uh, Moses that we even read about last week in the book of Exodus. And it's interesting, back there it talks about this was a darkness so dark that it could be felt. Can you imagine that dark? I like it to be dark when I sleep. Do you, do you guys like that? Yeah, I've mentioned this before, I think. It used to bother me terrible. If I lay down in the bed and, and, uh, and I can see that tiny bit of little light of coming in around the bedroom door, that would just drive me crazy. I couldn't go to sleep. Now, obviously, I've had to adjust a little bit living in Alaska because no matter what you do, it seems like you're going to have a little bit of light coming in, aren't you, and in the summertime, unless you were to totally block every window and everything else. So I've, I've had to learn to adjust a little bit. So I like it dark. But at times I've been in a couple places where it's really, really dark. You know what I mean? When you go like this and you can't even see or know that something's in front of you, that's how the kind of dark it's going to be here. It's going to be so dark that people cannot see anything at all. The complete absence of of any light at all. Can you imagine it? That's what it's going to be like here. It's going to be a darkness that is felt. And, uh, and of course, we see the object of this darkness, of this bowl being poured out upon, and it talks that it will be on the throne of the beast. Now, we've looked and we've learned from the past that the beast is an individual, but at the same time, the beast is, the beast is a political system as well. Okay, so I, I do believe, and, and, and people uh, discuss this, exactly how widespread this darkness will be. Will it only be on where his throne is, in just a little local darkness, so to speak? All the other things have been worldwide in scope. Now, we know that the beast, his political system, is also worldwide in scope. Therefore, I tend to believe, and so do many people, believe that this darkness will be universal essentially 
all over the whole world at this point in time. Okay, it's going to be horrible. Maybe God will uh, spare his people from this as well and give them a little bit of light, a little bit of ray right on their house or something. I don't know for sure. But anyway, it certainly appears to be worldwide and include all of the beast empire. Now, we believe, or many people believe, that Babylon will be rebuilt on the Euphrates River. That's in present day where? Iraq. Now, what we just had that went through a war, and uh, they're having elections. And, uh, and didn't I hear the president asking for more money recently to send over there to help them to rebuild? I mean, wonder how Babylon gets rebuilt. This has led my mind to start speculating on some things. Can you not perhaps even see how some of these things are going to happen? You know, if things turn out well, uh, I probably shouldn't even say all this because this is, I'll step away because this is really speculation here. Perhaps God's going to use us to help bring some of these things about. Some of the money from the U.S., from the U.N., and so forth to establish a new little uh, headquarters over there because of all the different fa uh, factions and all. And so they need a new place to establish as their headquarters. Perhaps, and this one, no, I'm really speculating here. I'm going to step further away. Perhaps we've looked at the character and the qualities of the beast, haven't we, in the past, Antichrist. One of the things we found out about him was he was very... Uh, uh, good with his rhetoric. He was known as a peacemaker type person. Don't we have the perfect scenario being established right now for someone to walk in and establish peace among a, a nation that is highly divided with all the different factions just in the, the Muslim world? Now, can you imagine him? Now, you did such a good job with Iraq what about between Israel and the Arab world? We need someone to step in and do some mediation here. Well, what triggers and kicks off the tribulation period? That is a seven-year peace treaty with the nation of Israel and evidently the Arab world in particular. Do you see how things could be? Again, you know what? I've... You, all this is not exactly right there in the Bible. But I think with a little sanctified imagination, you can see how these events are very plausible. And this is the scary part. could happen very soon. Do you realize how close we're getting to these events happening and the start of the tribulation period? I believe it's close at hand. And that ought to change our lives. Make us want to live for the Lord like never before. That ought to make us be willing to open our mouth and share the good news of the gospel. As we've seen before, those that have heard the gospel and reject it and the tribulation begins, they will be sent a strong delusion, it tells us in Thessalonians. And they will not repent. And those that are still alive on the earth, some will repent. They haven't heard the gospel, I should say. Some will repent, but many will not. They will love their sin. And we see it throughout the book of Revelation. These events are close at hand, I believe. 
So we see the, the object of this bowl being poured out upon. That is the beast. And I believe that includes his whole political system, his whole worldwide empire that's going on. And not just a rebuilt Babylon, although I do believe it will be rebuilt according to Zechariah and so forth. Now, he will be powerless. Even though he's empowered by Satan, and even though earlier in the book of Revelation, people are going to proclaim who is like the beast and who is able to make war with him. You know, at this point in time, they won't be able to say that because they know God is more powerful than the beast himself. The people loved to shed blood. What did God give them to drink? Blood. The people loved darkness and not righteousness. God gives them darkness to the maximum here with this bowl being poured out upon them. They love their spiritual darkness more than light, so God gives them darkness. And again, I believe this is a foretaste of hell itself. Do you realize there are several verses in the Bible that talk about eternal darkness or outer darkness type of thing as it refers to hell? This is a foretaste of hell that's going on here. So we see the object the beast and his empire, evidently. We see the effects of these, uh, uh, this judgment here, this fifth bowl being poured out. Uh, and I believe uh, the, the verse there where it's talking about how they will gnaw their, their tongue and, and pain and blaspheme God is really talking about the cumulative effect of all these bowls that have been poured out the sores with the first one, the smitten seas, the smitten fresh water, the scorching sun, and now total darkness causes mankind to blaspheme God, to speak evil against God himself. This is the truth of Scripture coming to pass where men will call good evil and evil good. Things are completely reversed. This is the, the epitome of that, uh, that Bible verse coming to pass and again here we see how uh, people will refuse to repent and turn to God and this is actually the last reference in the Bible to people refusing to repent of their sins chronologically speaking do you understand what the significance of that it certainly sounds like up until this point in time God's there with open arms repent Come unto me, all ye who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. That type of call is being extended to the whole world. Yet at this point in time, they still refuse to repent and turn to him. And that has led many to believe that at this point in time, from this point in time on, no matter what, they will be, the word is confirmed, and unbelief. They will no longer even desire. No one at this point in time, from this point in time on, will even uh, desire to be saved ever again. So it's, it's a horrible time. This is truly the end of salvation on the earth of any human being. And then we see the sixth bowl. And that, the target there is the Euphrates River. It will be dried up. And notice it refers to it as the great Euphrates. 
the Euphrates River is the greatest, the largest river in Western Asia, and uh, it has been used uh, throughout the Bible uh, and the Old Testament and history and prophecy and so forth. Uh, it's, it's talked about quite a bit, and it, it's, uh, it's very significant in the fact that it's about 1,800 miles long. It was the eastern boundary for all of the ancient Roman Empire. When Rome expanded, they went over to the Euphrates River. It has been the traditional boundary uh, between the east and the west and, uh, and so forth. So it separates the Orient from the Western world, so to speak, or Europe, or, uh, that part of the world, Middle East and, and all, okay? And it was a, a border that, uh, that was given uh, by God when he promised land to Abraham. That was the border, went over to the Euphrates River. And it's, again, a natural barrier between the East and the Western uh, empires. Uh, so that's one reason I believe it's called Great, the Great Euphrates River. Now, it's, the head of it starts way, way north. Obviously, it starts up near a place where there's a famous boat that landed on after the worldwide flood, Noah's boat, the ark. It landed on Mount Ararat. This is where close to, uh, close to that is where the headwaters of this start. And then it flows down kind of a little bit of a weird angle and all and goes all the way down into the Persian Gulf, okay, 1,800 miles uh, long. The reason I mention Mount Ararat is I'll tell you in a moment, okay, and, uh, and this, there's a reason for, I believe, this river needing to be dried up, and I'll try to answer that in a moment, okay. So, uh, so that's why the object, again, is the great Euphrates River, the purpose is uh, so that the kings of the east might be prepared. Okay, we said this has been a natural boundary or, or border between the east and then this part of the world and even the Roman part of the world and all. And so now God is wanting to gather up the eastern armies and have them come and invade or fight a war in a place called Armageddon, which is in the northern part of Israel about 60 miles north of Jerusalem. So he wants these armies to come there. Now, what's been happening so far? We had great heat, and we said great heat would cause some things to melt, right? Any snow-capped mountains, ice-capped mountains, those things are going to start melting. Well, what's on top of Mount Ararat? A lot of snow and ice, right? That's why people have our time figuring out where uh, Noah's Ark is and so forth. They believe it's buried underneath uh, a glacier type uh, uh, there. And so anyway, with all this scorching heat, a lot of water is going to run off. And where is it going to go? Down a, an existing river primarily, right? It's going to go down through the Euphrates River. And what's going to happen then with the Euphrates River? Have you never seen uh, some pictures on the news of rivers that are at flood stage? What happens to bridges? They get washed out. Uh, do people drive across and you know, or, or wade across or get in their little canoe and go across? Now, what if you had a huge army and you wanted to cross a river that is at flood stages? It would be very difficult, right? So at this point in time, you see the, the necessity of God intervening here and drying up the Euphrates River so he'll make a way for these people that he desires to gather 
down in the northern part of Israel. So he dries up the Euphrates River, allowing them access. So his drying up of the Euphrates River was not what we would say an act of kindness. It was to lead them to destruction, to essentially allow them to enter into his trap, if you want to say it that way, perhaps. Okay? So God's gathering these eastern armies and he wants them to go down to northern Israel. Now, we don't know exactly uh, why they go, what the bug has been planted in their ear, what promo- uh, provokes them to go exactly. Uh, perhaps it has to do with oil or some other economic reasons. Uh, perhaps it has to do with uh, they just, they're so anti-Semitic in their beliefs. They're just so angry at the Jews because, remember, earlier... It talked about the, the beast or the dragon wanting to make war on the woman and her children and so forth. So maybe there's some anti-Semitism going on here. Uh, maybe it's a little bit of everything. You know, all of this, you know, we need oil. We hate those Jews anyway, so let's go and take their oil type of thing. I don't know. Uh, maybe they want uh, uh, their, their uh, seaports and so forth there. In Israel, we just don't really know exactly what motivates them and provokes them to go. But nevertheless, they go. They desire to get there. At first, they can't really go because of the flooding of the Euphrates River. So God dries it up, and that (coughs) allows them to go in there. Now, the kings of the east is literally the kings from the rising sun. That's a poetic way of saying kings from the east. Okay? Or... Uh, And it probably includes uh, nations such as China, Japan, India, Persia, and so forth and so on. That would be the people to the east of the nation of Israel. We also see some demonic activity associated with this bull judgment here. God uh, allows some, some demons to come out of what you might call the unholy trinity, that is the dragon or Satan, and then the beast, who is the world dictator at that uh, particular time, and the false prophet, his assistant, that helps unite people together in a worldwide uh, religion and, and uh, so forth. So anyway, there's going to be some uh, evil spirits that John says look something like a frog here that, that, that comes out of these, these uh, un- this unholy trinity. And then they are the ones who go about and somehow or another uh, uh, inspire, if that's the right word, uh, these kings of the east to come down and invade Israel in the first place. Okay? Now, what, how they inspire them, well, I don't know. Maybe it's through that what we were talking about. You need oil, there's some, go get it kind of thing. I don't know. All right? So we see, anyway, some demonic activity uh, associated with this bowl or vile judgment. And then we see divine activity as well associated with this bowl as well. And God uses the confluence of nations here for his own divine purposes. God uses their evil intentions and, and God allows these demons to, to do their thing, provoking uh, people to go down and attack Israel. Yet God turns all of this for his own purposes. And uh, so the place of this war or this campaign is a place called, in, in Greek, it's Har, H-A-R, Magadon, okay? And uh, it's Har means mount or hills, 
And so it's the hill area around Magan. Uh, however you say it. Anyway, you know, Magadan. Uh, there we go. And, uh, and it's also, <coughs> if you look in your maps, you may see something called the Valley of Megiddo. Uh, in the Old Testament, you'll see the Valley of Jezreel. Same name. Uh, there's another uh, word in the Bible, Esardralion, or something like that. That's all the same place that is being uh, talked about here. It's a place of many significant battles and events in the Old Testament. On the southern side, if my geography is correct, on the southern side of this uh, valley of Megiddo is a, is a large mountain called Mount Carmel. And do you remember any significant event that happened on the southern side there? A famous prophet by the name of Elijah challenged the prophets of Baal, I believe 450 in number, to a duel. Remember, that's here at this place. If you stand on Mount Carmel and you face north, you will see down in the valley this place. And it's a huge expanse here, uh, relatively speaking. And uh, Napoleon himself went there and he said this would be a fantastic place to have a massive battle. It's going to happen, folks. And that's what it's talking about here. God's going to gather the forces of the world, essentially, here. We don't know exactly why they all come, but yet they do. And so we see divine activity and at this place called Armageddon. And the, participates, the participants in the war, and I don't have time to go into all this. I wanted to go back and read in Daniel chapter 11, but it tells us there in, in Ezekiel, and in Zechariah chapter 14 and Joel chapter 3 that there will be kings of the north, which evidently is uh, 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 Persia, Ethiopia, Libya, uh, perhaps some of the African bloc uh, nations, uh, Germany, uh, Turkey. Uh, it appears to be those uh, countries in particular will unite and uh, be what is known as the kings of the north. They're going to come. And they're going to want a stake in this event here as well. You know, you want the oil or whatever is motivating them? No, you can't have it. We want it too. So they're going to come and challenge for it. And then there's going to be uh, kings of the south, which looks like and appears to be uh, Egypt and the Arab states uh, will, will gather together. And then the kings of the west, which was evidently the ten-nation confederacy, uh, you, from the Mediterranean states, Europe, in other words. A lot of the European countries will be involved from the West. And then the kings of the East, which we talked about earlier, uh, that seems to be an Oriental block of China and Japan and India and so forth, will come and fight here at this time. So basically every point on the compass, everybody's going to come at this particular time in history and fight together, fight against uh, God really is what they're wind up doing. And then even in the midst of all this, we see an admonition here uh, for the believers. And basically he, he tells them uh, that he wants, that he's going to be coming as a thief in the night. Therefore, stay awake and keep on your garments. In other words, uh, be ready, be vigilant, uh, because the time is at hand. Be alert, be ready for combat, 
don't be caught unawares of that sort of thing and maintain righteous behavior. It's here. That's what the word here is from Jesus himself in verse 15. And then that leads us to the last bowl or vial that is poured out, and that is widespread destruction in verses 17 through 21. And, uh, and this bowl is the most severe and uh, totally devastating judgment of the whole tribulation. It, and it's going to end with the personal return of the Lord Jesus Christ to the earth. And uh, even though his, his, his personal return is not explicitly mentioned right here, I believe it's implied by the earthquake. That's one reason I mentioned that during the introduction time, because we see how this ends with uh, a massive earthquake here. And uh, we, the object of this bowl, the target of this bowl being poured out upon is upon the air. Now, who is the prince of the power of the air? That's Satan. In chapter 12, we were told that there was a war in heaven between Michael and Satan, the old dragon. And Michael kicked Satan out of heaven to the earth. That would include the atmosphere around the earth. Okay? And that's what, what it's talking about here. God is going to target even the air around the earth here with this particular bowl judgment. And as a result, you see uh, several effects here. That John saw some lightnings and he heard thunder and then he feels a massive earthquake that is unprecedented in history of the of the whole earth and when the earth quakes with this great earthquake that it talks about here it talks about the great city being divided into three parts now people debate and discuss argue over what is the great city where is that every other place that i've been able to detect the great city that kind of phrase is been used refers to Jerusalem. However, some people believe here it is referring to Babylon. I don't necessarily buy that, but yet some people do. Okay, and I mentioned to you before about how Christ is going to come back on the Mount of Olives, reading Zechariah, and when that happens, there will be a massive earthquake and so forth, and, I, and the river will flow out of the temple in Jerusalem and all, and go both east and west in direction, and so forth. And this is probably the event here of when Christ actually comes back right now in verse 21. And then if we're going to actually read about that specifically in details in chapter 19. But So we see a great earthquake, uh, and, the, and the great city will be divided. You can... Uh, disagree with me if you like whether it's Babylon or Jerusalem and then it says every island will f will flee away and uh, evidently quake there will be massive tidal waves tsunamis and uh, and the islands will be destroyed upon the earth at that time and then it says that some of the mountains at least some of the mountains it, that's another point of contention whether it's all or just some uh, of the mountains will be uh, broken up and they will fall and crack uh, and, and fall down to the earth. And then it talks about a plague of hell weighing about the size of a talent. Now a talent is, uh, is supposed to be 
the maximum weight that a normal in normal man could carry. Now, how much is that? Well, you know, a big strong guy like Scott or Al or whoever can probably carry a lot more than some of uh, some other people that weigh, you know, a hundred. 40-pound man or 150-pound man or whatever, right? And so, so what is this? It's, a, it's, a, it's in a good, not bad. 